The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Listen up, Refuge Church, God alone is God. There's no God but him. So Moses says this prayer for the people. He introduces this to them in Hebrews, in, sorry, in Deuteronomy 6 because the nation of Israel is made up of younger people who don't remember Egypt. Forty years before Egypt uh, was a place that Israel was kept in slavery for hundreds of years They had been enslaved in Egypt, and then God mightily brought them out. No one had ever done this before. No one had ever seen anything like this before. God intervenes on behalf of people, and he rescues his people for himself. And it didn't take more than a couple days of leaving Egypt that the Israelite people completely forgot about what God had done. Just that a couple days, and they forgot that, that God had rescued them from being slaves in a country for hundreds of years. They completely forgot it. And so what they did is they said, God, we want to go back to Egypt. Well, for 40 years, for 40 years, it was this tug of war, their hearts loving God and then rejecting God and loving God and rejecting God and loving God and rejecting God. And of that generation that had left Egypt, all of them died in the desert. And so if you've followed with us from Genesis all the way to the book of Numbers, we've seen a God who creates all things and chooses a people for himself and that people he chose for himself, rejecting him. And because of the rejection of him, they die in the wilderness. And you have this new generation that don't, they don't remember slavery anymore. And so Moses in Deuteronomy, he, he recalls for them all that God had done. And so if, if you've read with us up to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is simply just a summary of what God has done, just showing these people, don't forget, remember, remember what God has done to your ancestors. And in Deuteronomy 6, he gives them this prayer to pray, and he says, in the morning and the evening, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. He's preparing them to enter into the the land that was promised for them, a land that is full of idols, full of alternatives to worshiping God. And so he remembers, he reminds them that, remember, there's only one God. There's only one God. Follow that God. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So reading this the last week, Uh, it was placed in this context of a trip I was taking. I took this trip sort of uh, around Asia. Five countries, 18 days, 17 flights, long layovers, uh, little sleep, and a lot of gods. So I'm going to keep drinking. I'm pretty dehydrated. Do you know plains are drier than deserts? I learned that on the plane. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why you have to drink while you're on the plane. Um, Lots of gods everywhere we went. In India, 
Every village has their local god. There's 333 million Hindu gods. It's because everyone has their own god. Every, every locale has their own god that they worship. I went to this magnificent place called Angkor Wat in Cambodia, the largest religious site in the world, over 400 acres of land dedicated now to the Buddhist religion. It, it once was Hindu. In the late 12th century, it became Buddhist. As you go there, it's, it's uh, currently in use as a Buddhist temple, and I got to, to talk with some Buddhist monks while I was there. Um, and, you know, when you start talking to people in another country, uh, you, you kind of, you know, you, you, you see how much English they speak because I don't speak any Khmer. And so uh, you, you kind of, like, just try to make respectful gestures, you know, and then, and then they, like, say hello, and you're like, okay, hello, that's good, that's English, I get that. And so then you start talking. And, uh, and then as you speak, and if they speak really good English, you know, you, uh, you say, you speak really good English. Uh, and, and you simply say it because it's like, it's like uh, drinking fresh water, because to hear your own language spoken is incredible uh, when you haven't heard it for a while. And, uh, and so I was talking with this monk, and, and I said that to him, and he says, well, I'm from California. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> he said, where are you from? He said, oh, Washington <laughs> State. And, uh, and he, he had become a Buddhist monk later in life. Um, after his mother had passed away, he was a software engineer in California, and he was raised um, as a Christian and then when his mother passed away, he went through this kind of crisis of faith, um, experienced suffering, and, and didn't find in, in Christianity, he said, an answer for that. And so he went searching and went back to where his, his um, ancestors were from, which was Cambodia, and he became there a, a Buddhist monk. And so we chatted for a while. I told him I was a pastor, and, and he never... He never really had a long conversation with the pastor before. And I had this often throughout the trip. It was really fun to tell people I was a pastor because one, they didn't believe me because I was so young. And, uh, and the, the second thing, they were just really curious why if I was so young had I chosen to, to be a pastor. And, uh, and so we talked. But in, in a lot of ways, his, him and my experience were very different in life. But there's a story that, that I want to share with you that, that kind of, I think, describes... <clears throat> um, for me, it asked questions I needed to hear and questions that I needed to work through and respond to. And that was a very, it was a very unlikely conversation I had because I had this 72 hours of travel on my way back. It was just this long, really cheap tickets, long layovers, and <laughs> real weird places to sleep in, in airports. But um, when I got into Cambodia, and it was, it was my last stop before Cambodia and then South Korea and then than the U.S., and, um, and I was going from one airline to another. You guys don't need to know all this, but, uh, but because of that, I had to buy another visa and go in-country and then walk back in the airport, it was, and I was kind of upset, so I was, I was like, why are you making me do this, you know, and, and so this was my first time without my, kind of my travel buddy who lives in Cambodia, and so I was doing this by myself, and, and God just had these incredible plans for me. And the, the first was as I was walking out of the airport, I got in the immigration line uh, into Cambodia with a, a missionary to China who is working with 
house churches. And that was fun. so we had this amazing conversation in the immigration line. We exchanged contact info when I had left. And, then, and I was like, I was at that point of like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just going to go find a bench and, and sit down and sleep. And so I walked in back in the airport and I found this kind of bench near a power outlet and plugged my phone in. And then I saw kind of across from me, there was a young couple who, um, the young man, he was a little younger than me, late 20s. He had just the kindest smile. And, <clears throat> and so he, he approached me in conversation, opened it up. His name, I'll, I'll call him Stephen, and I'm going to call him Stephen because that's not his name, but I hope he comes here someday. Um, and he grew up in Austria, him and his girlfriend, and they had sold, an, sold everything they had, and, and they were now traveling, and they did free diving, and they were going to Bali where I'd been uh, to do free diving, which is you, you, without the aid of oxygen, you dive as deep as you can. And he was telling me how you break past these barriers and how long you can hold your breath, and he was about two minutes, two and a half minutes. But the, the world record's over 11 minutes, okay, just holding your breath. So he just described this experience of endurance of free diving, and, and how you'd practice lying on your bed and how your skin would scream as you tried holding your breath. And, and I, he asked me what I did, and I told him I was a pastor, and his eyes lit up. He never talked to a pastor before. Um, but he was, he was raised and confirmed in the Catholic Church in Austria. And as he grew up, um, he said he didn't find any, any sincerity in it. Uh, he never, he never met anyone who it seemed like really cared about truth. That's what he told me. But he loved truth. He loved truth and he pursued it. So as he grew up, he, he was passionate about these things. And so he shared with me his passions. Electronic currency, very passionate about. Right? Uh, and he was passionate about, about social entrepreneurship. And so we talked a lot about that. And he was passionate about truth. And so his trials had taken him around the world and he discovered Buddhism and psychedelic drugs. And so at this point in the story, you, you might think this guy's crazy, but let me tell you, this was one of the, the kindest, most normal people I'd ever met. I mean, he was just this incredible person. And, um, and so we, we had this over an hour long conversation together. And he kept, as we talked, he kept telling me, I want to hear about your faith. And so, so eventually I got to share with him. He says, so why, why do you believe in Jesus? And so I told him why I believe Jesus is God and why I've committed my whole life to following Jesus. And, and so what I want to do today for you is I want to kind of show you how, how the Shema, what this, this thing that Moses said, this prayer, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, how that responds to Stephen's questions because he kind of peppered me with questions as he went on. At the core of Stephen's belief, he believed that, that no matter where you come from, everyone's sort of headed to the same place. And, and I'll, I'll show you how, how he got to that part and how there was kind of tension in our conversation and how we worked through that. But I'm hoping that you see in the truth that Moses is telling the people of Israel and reminding them as they go into a land full of idols that here Israel, here Refuge Church, that, that God alone is God, that, that there is one God. There's not one God in, in many expressions, not many ways we get to him. To worship the God and, God and serve him only and love him with your heart, soul, mind, strength, there's, there's one way to do that. 
And, and I got an opportunity to share that with Stephen. So what I want to take you through is these three major parts in the Shema. The first is listen. The Shema actually just means listen. Uh, what, who God is. What, what does it mean, Lord? The, the Lord your God is one. And then at the end of the Shema, it says, then love the Lord your God with all your, your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So there is um, popular disbeliefs or assumptions that people live with that I believe um, form defeater beliefs for uh, the truth of the gospel, the truth of what God is presenting in his word. And these, these are, are lies that are really seductive. They're lies that, that we, we not only hear, but I think honestly we desire to believe because there's this confusing, it's confusing when you read the Bible and you, you watch these people see God and all his power and then you see them, the next chapter, completely pretend like he doesn't exist. Right? It is not only mind-boggling, it's freaking annoying, right? You're like, do you know? Like, like you, get, you start getting upset at them, right? And, and yet, what we find in our own hearts is those same desires. Why, why are these questions, why are these beliefs, these underlying assumptions so persuasive to us? Well, for Stephen, as I started explaining to him, what I believed truth was, who I believed God was, and, and why I believed that Jesus was the only way to God. Stephen described to me this profoundly powerful religious experience that he'd had. Um, it was a, an experience that he'd had while he was on psychedelic drugs, mind you, but it was one that was so powerful that, that I, I, don't even, I can't even repeat it to you because he was so vulnerable in sharing it with me. And it, and it led him to this, this time, uh, he said, just of weeping and of emptying himself. And, and the content of that was not knowledge, but it was him feeling this, this cessation of knowledge that he no longer had to know anything. That he came to this realization, he called it a humility, that, that, that he actually did not know anything. And the, so the underlying question in that is, is truth possible? And for him, it was a freedom in that truth wasn't necessarily possible. It was a freedom to not have to be bound to needing truth. Uh, and, and I've heard this so many times. It's this, this idea that you are, you are arrogant to claim that you know truth that you are in relationship with understanding or relationship with knowledge. Well, the Shema's answer to this is this. It starts with, listen, hear, right? Listen up. God alone is God. And so my response as I talked to Stephen was this. I said, I completely agree with you that I have no ability, no ability to come to understanding I totally agree. But I also believe that God has revealed himself to us. I believe that God has spoken to us. I believe that God has shared his words with us. And, and I have no, I'm not smart enough. I'm not smart enough to get to truth on my own. I totally agree. And I said, and honestly, man, it's totally liberating to just say, I'm stupid. You know? And you're like, don't talk bad about 
yourself. You're like, no, I actually am like, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm not smart enough to, to understand the divine, right? And I'm not even smart enough to understand these deep cravings I have to know more and, and not even be able to point at exactly what I'm wanting. But when, when I read the scripture and I see God, a God who created all things, then going, listen up. Listen up, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then he reveals to himself to us. It is this profound experience. Not that I know, but that I am known. And this God who knows me then reveals himself to me. And that's good news, right? It's good news, not that we have to be smart enough. Not that, not that I, on my own, can receive truth, but that God has given himself to me. right? That, that's good news. And that's what I shared with Stephen. I I agree, but I said, I don't think humility is disbelieving, right? Humility isn't saying that we can't come to a belief in what is true because we just don't know because we're not smart enough. But I think humility is receiving what God says and obeying it, right? Actually submitting to to truth, right? That's humbling to me is is not humility to me isn't saying well I'm just I just don't know I can't know anything but humility is when God reveals Himself saying, you know what I want to fight that because I I want to be the most powerful thing in my life I want to be the words of authority but when God shows Himself and shows His authority to me and me saying yes I'm going to submit to that and sometimes I don't understand it sometimes I don't get it. But when God reveals his truth, humility, I said, I, it's, it's me listening. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Because you know what happened when they stopped listening? Yeah, when they stopped listening and they turned their hearts to follow other gods, it was so destructive. And think about in our lives, it is so disorienting, right? Sometimes I feel like the freedom for me will be finally following my own desires. But you know what happens when I follow my own desires? It's terribly disorienting. I'm lost in this huge world. But when I listen, when I listen to what God is saying and I obey him and I follow him, I finally find myself. Because I'm listening to the one who created me. Stephen went on and he said, after um, I had shared with him about who I believed God was and who I saw him revealing himself to me in Jesus Christ, um, he asked me this really interesting question. He said, uh, do you believe that there is only one Jesus? Do you believe that there is only one Jesus? And so what, what he meant by that what wasn't, do I think God's revealed himself in different ways at different times? As in like, you know, well, I think we see Jesus in the Old Testament. I think we, you know, what he was saying was, do you think that Jesus, in his mind, simply, and he actually asked me, he goes, how much of the Bible do you see as metaphor? Because what he meant is, do you see Jesus, in his words, meaning absolute truth or absolute authority or absolute, the absolute goal of our lives, do you see that revealed in other ways? And so for him, he is seen in Buddhism, he would see that other people have received or have become absolute truth. So Jesus is one of those in his mind who had just achieved a place of absolute truth, right? 
And the crazy thing in Buddhism, that is actually not absolute knowledge, but it's actually like, it's absolute nothingness, right? And so it's kind of interesting. He said, do you think Jesus is unique? And so my response to him, and what we see in the Shema is this, the hero, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That all religions aren't pointing to the same God. All religions aren't pointing to the same God. There's this old Hindu uh, story that goes like this, and I've shared this before, but it's the story of an elephant. You've probably heard this, uh, where you have five blind men, and they're all touching this elephant, right? And one holds the trunk, and he's like, the, the elephant is like a snake, you know? And the other one's like holds the side of the elephant. He's like, the elephant is actually more like a wall. Right? And the other one grabs the, the leg of it and he's like, No, I think the elephant's more like a tree. Right? And this is their way of saying, you know, we just are all grasping different parts of the same thing. Um, that was his idea when he says, You think Jesus is unique? He's like, I think maybe what you see as as being God is really just one expression. Of it. Well, hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And, and we see this, this incredible story in the Bible that establishes God and his sovereignty in a way that no other religious text does. As you, see, as you go, literally, you go around the world and you see like tribal leaders or these things that have these locations that God from the very beginning had no location, but he was king of kings and Lord of lords, God of gods. And so uh, I think we have Deuteronomy 10. If we can pull that up, I want, I want to read this for you. And I want to show you from the very beginning as God has chosen a people for himself, a unique people, the people of Israel, but how he shows himself to them. Start with me in verse 14. It says, To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, and the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord has set his affections on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose their descendants above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. It says, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. See, this is the amazing thing, that God, who is the God of gods, is extending his reach over the whole cosmos. He's the, he's the God who creates the heavens and the earth and everything in them, and he considers all people, not just Israel. This is so beautiful. This is so unlike any other God. And what they say, that he, the Lord, he says, fear him and serve him and hold fast. How do you do that? Well, you do that by, by loving all those around you and showing them the glory of God and inviting them to be a part of the life of this great God, Yahweh, who alone is God. God alone is God. And, and so as I, I started talking with Stephen about that, what it led to was this conflict, right? And, and we are... Our interaction was so beautiful. This is, this is sort of the way it went. In a matter, and this was totally 
God opening it up, and literally in a matter of three minutes, he was sharing with me a story that he was like tearing up about this experience that he'd had that was so profound. And it was this experience he saw of the divine that, that and as he told that, we just became, like walls came down and we were vulnerable with one another. And then as I started talking about who I saw Jesus is and Jesus being alone God and he was the way, the truth, and the life and the only way we could come to know a God who is and a God who is personal, a God we can love and be loved by. And he said to me, well, do you think Jesus is unique? And he says, because I think we're talking about the same thing. And I said, I said, well, you know, what I think is that, um, I think that when you say that, uh, whether you're saying that to me as a Christian or you're saying that to uh, a Muslim or, or even if you say that to a Hindu, I said, I think you're going to insult each one of them because y- what you're doing is you're assuming you know their faith better than they do and saying, even though they've studied and read what they believe, you, basically what you're doing is you're kind of saying, you know, all the distinctives of your faith they don't matter. Because I said, what, I, what happens if I talk to a Muslim is we can come to one another and we will talk about what's distinct about ours and then, then we interact about it, right? I'll say, who is God? Who do you see who God is? How do we come to know him? What is eternity? How do we, how do we what does eternity look like? How the world can be? I said, and as we talk about those things, we're not going to see that they're all the same. We're going to see some profound differences, right? These profound differences, as we talk about them, we're going to come to, to, to the, the question of, like, who's right? I said, and that's hard, right? That's hard. But I said, what you're trying to do is make this all subjective, right? Because what he wanted to do is, with the power of experience, he wanted to come back. Because as we started talking about what was different, this is what he told me. And it was this beautiful moment. And he says, you know what, Daniel? When we were talking about our experiences, I felt like we were so close. But he says, but when, then when you started talking to me about, about how we're different, he says, I felt tension. And I felt like we weren't as close anymore. And I said to him, I said, I know. But I said, but words are the only way I have to describe to you how we're not thinking the same. And I said, and I don't know how else to do that. And I said, I respect you so much. And because like, I felt this also, and I care about you, I have to describe to you how I see it different. I said, I don't know how else to do that. All I got is words. And, and he was, honestly, it was this beautiful moment because he's like, I get it. And I was like, I said, I think that's how relationships work. <laughs> you know? I was like, how you think something and I think something. And the only way to do it is talk about it. And, and so, and so we, we talked about it. And, and we wor- started working through that, that tension. The, the amazing thing is we work through the, the, the tension is this. The question is, how can you judge someone else's experience? Because he'd had a profound experience. And, and the only way is, that, is to confront the underlying assumption is that what we feel is true is true. And sometimes I get that what I feel is true isn't true. And I have to humble myself to that point and realize like, man, I want to, I want to talk, I want to be open, I want to be vulnerable with you because I got feelings too. But, but how do we move that past this realm of subjective where, where if you 
were, were battling cancer, you wouldn't want to go in and talk to the doctor and the doctor says, uh, you have cancer. And you're like, well, I just don't feel that. I feel like I just have heartburn. You know, that, that's not help. Your feelings aren't correct. You're dying. Right? And, and yet we, all of a sudden with, with religion, we take it into the realm of subjective where two plus two equals four over here. But all of a sudden when it comes to truth and how the world's made and where you're going and what your soul is, all those things, it's about feelings? No. It's not. I, said, I said, the reason why we're, we need to talk about this is because I don't think when you and I are saying something that are different that, that we should be okay without trying to work through that. Like, and I said, I don't, I don't know if we're going to come to any, any decision here, but like, I, I want to talk about this with you. Um, how do we move past those feelings? And the Shema's response to this, the heroes of the Lord your God, the Lord is one, so love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So the response of the Shema is this, that true love obeys the truth. True love responds to the truth that God is one and God has revealed himself to us and love is a response to that. True love obeys the truth. True love is not just a feeling. We have to take it out of the realm of the subjective and, and, and land it in the realm of objective that God has revealed himself to us, has been clear with his words and our response is submission to him. To, be, to fight for obedience, to fight to subject ourselves and our feelings that sometimes are like, right, all over the place, and just submit ourselves to him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the Shema, the way it goes on, it says, so teach these commands to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Right? Talk about these things. Tell them to one another. Teach them. Pray when you wake up and when you go to bed and make these things a part of your life. This is how you love, not by words alone, not by feelings alone, but by action alone. And Jesus loved this. Jesus quoted this more than anything else. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Bible. And he kept coming back to this. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Because this, this is our one response to this, the world that is so confused and is trying to find who's God? Is there a God? What is truth? Can we know truth? Here, Refuge Church, listen up. God alone is God. And, and that using the words he's given us as we, as we have, we've got to figure out how to talk with one another about it. And, and let me tell you, I didn't like leave the conversation with... Stephen, like, you know, rocked that one. I, I honestly felt, like, so convicted for a couple of reasons. The first was when he started sharing about his journey to the faith, it was, it was immediately for him very experiential. And, and there is beauty in that. And when he says, why do you believe in Jesus? You know, I honestly, I loved, I loved the songs that Nate chose today for worship. They were perfect. They were all the ones I needed to sing. Like, I believe in God, our Father everlasting, creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only son, right? As we, as we have these creeds of faith, but you know what Stephen didn't need for me to do when he's like, why do you believe in Jesus? He didn't need me just to recite the Apostles' Creed. And I think sometimes, 
that, that's what we do. We don't know how to talk about our relationship with God is personal. And the question is why? If our, the response, the command, the command isn't, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's not the command. That's the fact. The command is love the Lord your God with thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so why, when someone then says, why do you follow him? Why do we then we just fall back on, on just coming to this, well, it's easy for me to recite a creed, but what does it look like for me to love that God? <laughs> to love him and talk about how he drew me to himself. That wasn't, wasn't just him like, you know, convincing me, but when God drew me to himself, man, and I, so what I got to do is I got to pull back these experiences and stories of how God freed me and what it looked like for me to be filled with sin and shame and for me to know I couldn't do anything about that and the relief when I realized God was for me, not against me. Right? And, I, and so I got to like, and I started trying to find words to talk about that, right? I started trying to find words to talk about what is written in Deuteronomy and what Jesus says again in Matthew, right? Finding words to talk about. So what I want to encourage you to do is what would you say? How would, how would you explain the Shema to Stephen in the airport? Why do you follow God? I believe it's true. I believe it's objectively true that there is one God and that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And I believe he's revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And there's only one way to know that God and that is through following Jesus. Believe that with my whole heart. Believe with all my mind. I want to live for that with all my strength. But how do we talk about that? That's the, that's the challenge, I think, that we face. How do we, how do, we do this and press them on the children, talk about them as we sit and as we walk along the road and lie down and get up? What does that look like for us today? Uh, if you have been listening and I've made any sense to you and you don't follow Jesus yet, I want to invite you to follow Jesus, to become a follower of him uh, I believe that it, it, the only way to know truth is by coming to know Jesus, and he invites you to follow him too. This last week, an incredible, mighty, powerful man of the faith died, Billy Graham. And Billy Graham had a huge impact on my life and of millions of other people. And, and he has this song called Just As I Am, and, and there's this, the first line of it says, Just as I am without one plea, but that... Your blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, that you call me to come to you, O Lamb of God, I come. And I invite you to come. Um, Billy Graham would end every revival. He had singing this song, this, this call, come. And Billy Graham preached over the world, all over the world, to people of all faiths, millions and millions of people. Um, and invited them all to come to this one God, God who alone is God, because it is available, following him, relationship with him is available through Jesus Christ, and that is available to you. Pray with me. Oh God, Father, 
there's a lot of words I shared today. Um, a lot of thoughts. And God, we, we seek your face and we pray that we can know you. Um, I want to specifically pray today for, for some of us who are here, who it's been so long since we've felt awake to you. That we've just loved you. Um, some of us who it's become such a routine that, that we know you are alone, our God. But the experience of loving you with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength isn't, doesn't feel like a present reality. I pray that you will awaken us a love for yourself. It's just powerful and profound and we can't shut up about it and we want to keep talking about it. We want to talk about you. You, you awaken our times of prayer. We remember as we're praying to you that you the God who created the heavens and earth and everything in them who have invited us into your presence to speak to you. There's nothing that you can't do. And we get front row seats. Uh, we get to sit in your presence. We get to be your people for the rest of our lives and for the rest of eternity. Just get to hear your voice and hear you Tell us more about yourself, God. We want nothing more than that. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.